once verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Captains, you're listening to episode 261 of Priority One Podcast, your weekly report on all things Star Trek. Recorded live on Thursday, March the 3rd, 2016, and available for download or streaming on Monday, March the 7th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Kenna. I'm Tony. And as always in the recording booth is our audio engineer, Winters. Hello, everyone. So, Tony, what's in this week's episode? Well, and check it out this week. We're getting all excited about the newest names to be attached to the new Star Trek TV series. And we've got an interview with Tommy Kraft, writer, director, and executive producer of the newly released fan film, Star Trek Horizon. In Star Trek Online News, we're looking at the latest big features slated for season 11.5. And we're hailing the return of some old but beloved content. Later, Jake is here with some must-have Trek merchandise for March in the Promenade. And of course, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, this show isn't just for us, it's for you too. So chat with us during our live stream recordings every Thursday night at 6 p.m. Eastern at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash live. Or join in on the discussion via one of our social media channels. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast or on Twitter at PriorityOnePod. You can also leave a comment on our website, PriorityOnePodcast.com, or even leave us a voicemail using SpeakPipe. Just click on the widget on our homepage. And finally, thanks again to all of our Patreon supporters, old and new, who make this show possible from week to week. With your help, we can keep improving the quality and content of the show. Visit us at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One and find out about all the cool perks we have to offer. Speaking of Patreon perks, this week on Priority One After Hours... I used to be really, really into uh, Final Fantasy. The thing is, half of me is like holding out for the the because the, they're remaking it, aren't they? Yep, they are. Um, it's a lot more than dollars. So at the mo, well, it's, it hovers around a dollar fifty to a pound. Yeah. So you're talking ninety dollars for a top of the line game. Yeah, go on, name a few. Right. Okay. So the Assassin's Creed series, the mm. Batman Arkham series. Hearts of Iron, which I doubt any of you have heard. I'll talk about that one. Uh, War Thunder, the Silent Hunter series, the Fire Cry series, and World of Warships. This unscripted, uncensored, and unedited recording is available exclusively to our Patreon subscribers. Now let's check out some exciting news about the new Star Trek TV series. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. So, Tony, I have some really exciting news to share with you. Oh, do tell. Well, we here at Priority One Podcast are really, really proud to announce that we have recently been added to the official StarTrek.com fan sites page and right at the top. They've even pulled in our RSS feed so you can listen to our latest episodes straight from their site. 
This is such a huge honor for us all, and I would just like to say a special thanks to everyone who's worked on the show over the years for their hard work and dedication. But most importantly, on behalf of everyone at Priority One, I want to thank our listeners who have kept us going over the years. And of course, I also want to say welcome to all our new listeners. We are glad to have you as part of the family. That was a long time coming. Elijah's been working on that for a long time, trying to get us on that site. So, well, well, a, a brief round of applause for Elijah. Uh, well done, sir. Good job. But there's more exciting news, and just the not not just for us, but for everybody. And I'm super excited. Just 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 guess why. Go on. Uh, Go on. Is guess. Is it there's no, a new that's not flavor it. No, of shampoo no, no. at the local CVS? Okay, okay. I'm gonna give you three. I'm gonna give you three hints. Okay. Okay. Number one, aren't you dead? Number two, what is working around here? Number three, who's been holding up the damn elevator? In our usual display of broadcast savvy last week, Priority One recorded episode 260 just before the nick of time. Get it, Nick? Huh? Well, if you haven't guessed by now, or maybe you haven't, if you haven't heard the news, Nicholas Meyer, director and uncredited writer of the best Star Trek movie of all time, of all time, The Wrath of Khan, has been brought on by CBS <coughs> All Access <coughs> uh, as producer and writer of the new Star Trek series. For a guy who once swore off Star Trek, he sure turns up quite a bit in the credits of some of the best Trek ever filmed. He skipped any involvement with the search for Spock, but then he co-wrote The Voyage Home. Apparently, he was responsible for the movie's second act, where the crew ran around San Francisco, a.k.a. the good part. Uh, he sat out the final frontier for, for reasons which uh, do not require discussion. Uh, and then he wrote and directed The Undiscovered Country. That film, which is number two or three on my personal list of best Trek movies, depending on my daily anger level at Jonathan Frakes for putting a joystick on the bridge of the E, that film will be important to the new series for reasons which we will discuss. Uh, no, for the record, Insurrection is not my number two. I'm just so furious about the joystick that my opinion of First Contact suffers as a result. In an interview with Den of Geek, he said, quote, The one thing I can relate to you is that the undiscovered country, according to Brian Fuller, is a real sort of taking-off point or touchstone for how I guess he's thinking about the direction of the new show. I don't want to be misquoted, and I don't want to misquote him, but he's fond of the film. Let's put it that way. End quote. Meyer's also excited to actually write for the show, not just be a figurehead, and he's ready to boldly go where the franchise has never gone before. But nobody knows better than him where it came from. Quote, The thing that mainly troubles me about Star Trek is the fear of it being maybe retreads of itself. And to the degree that I had any influence on the thing at all was that, at least while I was there, we were fooling around. And if you're not fooling around, then things can become stale. And I think that Brian Fuller, who's a very clever fellow, has ideas, some of which I've heard, that are innovative and different. Different is what got me interested. End quote. Now, nobody panic. Meyer's idea of a different Star Trek is almost certainly another word for innovative. This guy's Star Trek judgment is impeccable. Want to know how I know? He was offered the director's chair for Nemesis. He read the script and said, okay, so long as I can rewrite the entire thing. Paramount turned him down. And remember how that turned out? I'm pretty sure Brian Fuller and Alex Kurtzman will not repeat that mistake. So excited! So excited! Yeah, I love him pretty much for nothing else but, you know, that whole little story about Nemesis. Yeah. 
He's got instinct. Boy, this... I'll give him that. This, I would love to direct more Star Trek. This is a steaming pile. I want to throw it away. May I throw the steaming pile away? No, I'm sorry. You're contractually obligated to use that steaming pile. Oh, I will not touch it. Thank you for your call. Yeah, so, yeah. Right on. He, he, he spotted that one. Good job for him. So, but, uh, you know, and, and, and as a result, uh, they basically killed the Star Trek movie franchise for more than a decade. So, you know, live and learn, I guess. Live and learn. Yeah, and I like his concept of sort of innovative and different. You know, arguably, Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home, is a little weird. Because, I mean, it's the one that everyone calls the one with the whales, right? Right. <laughs> like, what do, what do whales have to do with Star Trek? It's a, it's a bit weird. But it's still a very good film. I really enjoyed it, and it was my favorite one growing up. I mean, it's maybe it's for a younger audience, but it doesn't matter. It works. And it's different, and it's innovative, and, you know, I'd like to see more of that. Maybe maybe not whales again, but maybe pushing the boundaries a little bit. He get, I think one, the thing about Myers is that he gets, I think, the core concept of Star Trek, number one. It's, they, talk, they talk about serious things, but don't take yourself too seriously. I mean, I let, I let off the, the little bit here with all those quotes. It's like all those little lines just made the characters alive. You know, it's like, it's, you know, it's not like... Captain, I wish to invade the Romulan Empire because they have been... I mean, no, 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 no. What's holding up the damn elevator? Or aren't you supposed to be dead? You know, it's like people talking to each other. And now it just so happens that aren't you dead is some heavy foreshadowing for the end of the film, so it works for the film. Who's holding up the damn elevator is a kind of an homage to all the times they had long conversations in the elevator in the TV series and they only moved like one floor. You know, I mean, it's, got, it's kind of a ha-ha wink and a nod at you right there. And, uh, uh, you know, and the uh, what is working around here, you know, it sets up a plot point for the next part of the show where Kirk has to go down all these ladders to go find his friend who's dying. You know, it's, it's, it sets up a dramatic point in the film, you know, because the elevators are broken and he's having to run through the bowels of a ship to try to go find his friend. So, it, he, you know, the guy is just freaking a genius as far as I'm concerned. And, I, and this excites me way more than Fuller's nomination. The only thing left is we got to get Frakes and or Burton to direct the uh, the series pilot, and I think once we do that, I think just we're done. We're you know I'm, uh, CBS can have my money. I want Frakes to direct a lot of the new series, and the reason being is not so much what he used to do with Star Trek, but the stuff that he's done since then is always grown up, uh, but it's funny and it's dramatic. And I'm thinking, you know. Uh, God, that episode of Castle where he kind of poked fun at himself. Love that kind of it's, stuff. Yeah, it, and that, and that's the that's the there's there's a certain attitude you have to get when approaching Star Trek, and and Myers got it right. I mean, he he took Roddenberry's vision and said, Gene, and he even admitted this. He said, Gene, you're kind of messed up with some of this stuff, and some of these things have to be told, and they have to be told this way. And I'm going to take your vision, and I'm going to change it to make it fit my what I think works, and. Objectively, it worked great. I mean, we're still talking about the two, four, and six being some of the best, uh, some of the best and most profitable Star Trek films ever made. It worked clearly, and the uh, uh, and and Frakes is the same way because I think he got he when he was in the director's chair, especially for First Contact, he got the idea of a Star Trek film and the idea of of, of showing off these relationships with people. Some of which is, are clearly built up in seven years of TV, but there's also an audience there that might not understand the relationships and might need to be reminded. And, and I think he pulled it off with First Contact. So I, Frakes, 
and my we just need Frakes to come back in, and they've got I think the holy grail of, of the of the creative team, and uh, and and I'm gonna throw Lavar Burton in there too because he he is gonna bring a lot of that same Trek spirit. Uh, he, he's directed several episodes of. Uh, Voyager, and I think he helmed a couple of the Next Generation. While he was there too. I think he done some DS Nine as well, didn't he? And DS Nine too. Yeah, I think he's he had a, he directed quite a, a number of episodes of all of all those series, and I think he, he might have even come back for Enterprise a couple times, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, a guy like that who who was there back in the day and who talked to and met with Gene Roddenberry and and uh, knows what how to run an ensemble cast for for long periods of time. So, so there's so much the, the bench has great depth and I hope they go to it and they have been going to it and I think that that's outstanding so so very excited very excited and there's a bonus announcement too mm-hmm. bonus announcement just as we go to press or recording whatever it is we do here Gene's son Rod Roddenberry and the chief operating officer of Roddenberry Entertainment which is his company uh, by a guy by the name of Trevor Roth they've both been named as executive producers as well so uh, that brings to, I think, five the number of people who are going to have executive producer credits. And then Nicholas Meyer is going to have a co-producer credit of some kind. So the credit reel, you know, the, the credits reel is, is already getting pretty long here, uh, even before we even get to, like, you know, the cast. Uh, so there's a lot, of, there's, there's a potential for a too many cooks problem. But I think as long as the chain of command is established that Fuller runs the show and Nick Myers uh, is his first officer, and nobody dicks with that. I think as long as that chain of command is firmly established and right up front and nobody messes with it, I think it's going to be fine. Yeah, but I do think adding a part of the, the Roddenberry dynasty, what would you call it, as a, in, a, in a producer role really adds some legitimacy to where they're kind of trying to go with things. And I'm I, that that additionally makes me very, very excited and makes me more and more confident that what we're going to see is a good bit of Trek. Yeah, I think it was a, uh, I think it was a political thing more than anything. I mean, I think that the, we talk, we've talked on other occasions about how Star Trek's IP is kind of a mess. I think bringing him in and bringing his company in, which I think was the more eyebrow-raising part of this, I think yep. uh, bringing him and his company in might head off or at least delay. Uh, some of the IP concerns that are inevitably going to happen when the studio arrangements are all made for how this yeah. thing gets produced. So I think it's political, but it's not a bad political move. It certainly it certainly does, as you're saying, lend the credence, lend, lend the heft of the name to the yeah. to the thing. Having a Roddenberry in the credits role, I think, was a good idea. Well, no, the thing that I think is very interesting is that what what we have right now is a very highly pedigreed. You know, small small team. You know, for for a complete production, but the the pedigree of the people that are now involved have been named to be involved is is very prestigious in sort of Trek circles, which I think is great. And then contrast that with what we've got on the film front, and I think that's really interesting because you basically got some of the really the biggest players in historical of the historical Trek franchise are signing up to the TV series and none of them will work on the films. Well, no, no, no. I will bet you a dollar that none of them were asked. Oh, no, that's an no, interesting No, I'm positive idea. that none of them were asked. I am positive. And that just shows the difference between... That's the, I mean, that goes back to the whole IP license thing. Paramount had the rights to the movies and wanted big tentpole popcorn muncher, you know, summer blockbuster type things. 
clearly CBS with their humongous backlog of Star Trek TV that they want people to pay $6 a month to see they want a nod back to the old school they want it to go back to its roots and 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 they've got a team of people that have not only proven that they know Star Trek but that they know TV you know uh, Nicholas Meyer got Emmy awards for some other stuff that he did on TV he actually was a New York Times best selling author before he got into films he wrote Star Trek uh, not Star Trek uh, Sherlock Holmes he wrote Sherlock Holmes uh, stories and got and and got uh, and, and was on the New York Times bestseller list in the seventies for the Sherlock Holmes stories. So I mean, he's a guy that can write. He's a guy that can write for TV. He's a guy that made some of the best Star Trek movies ever. Uh, he was nominated for an Academy Award for a film he directed, uh, starring Mark Malcolm McDowell uh, and David Warner. Hello, Malcolm McDowell, bad guy in Generations. David Warner in every Trek ever. So I mean, I mean, the the, the pedigree, like you're saying, is amazing, and I'm 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 giddy and blabbering i'm blabbering i'm so excited yeah i yes we can tell yes so thrilled well my point is that you know that so far what we've seen from the development of the trek tv series has totally captured the imaginations of the fans who i think the fans have been a bit restless for the last few years not being that happy with the film offering and just be going when are we going to get... And then, you know, especially it was a bit touch and go with Alex Kurtzman being the first name that we heard. People were not so sure about it. And since then, it's been like, yes, yes, yes. And I, you know, it'll be interesting to see how what what the world looks like when we've got to what appear to be diverging sections of the IP, where you've got the films kind of going off in their direction and then a TV series and... I don't know exactly how that's going to work. Well, I, I don't either, but I think it will. I mean, Paramount's perfectly happy to keep, you know, making half a billion dollar blockbuster summer movies. We'll see how Beyond does. We'll see. But you know, I mean, there's here's the I, we I I, I I I bag on the JJ verse. I mean, for what they're designed to do, they're fine. And Simon Pegg, like I said, I, I Simon Pegg is a fun movie writer. He's a fun guy. I mean, and and he's a Star Trek fan. So I mean, I think he wants to do right. I think he wants to do right. But, but it's not the it's it was it was flawed at the get go. And he and he can only do so much with with what he has to work with. He's he's stuck with the quote JJ verse canon. You know, he's stuck with that universe and, and that that, uh, that that set of circumstances. I, I think he'll be okay, but. I hope you'll be okay. Let's let's say I hope. <laughs> yeah. I hope you'll be okay. <laughs> well, the thing is, you know, if you think back to the mid '90s, we we did have uh, a couple different. I, I keep forgetting the fact that we had a couple of different Star Trek TV series on at the same time that were very different feels. They were well, TNG and DS9 were more or less the same era, but they were a very different feel in terms of the show, and, and to a, to an extent that was tolerated. People, you know, bought into both thing so maybe that's what we'll end up getting with the new series and the films that they will complement each other they'll be slightly different but they will work we'll see it feels awkward to me but i guess we'll see come january of next year won't we yes we we will well i mean we'll see we'll see this summer uh when beyond gets released so that brings us to this week's community question what's your favorite nicholas meyer moment and it can't be con. No, it can't be that. That's too easy. That's too obvious. <laughs> it's too obvious. All right. Well, now let's chat with the writer, director, and executive producer of Star Trek Horizon, Mr. Tommy Kraft.
Well, Captains, today we are joined by Tommy Kraft, writer, director and producer of the newly released feature film Star Trek Horizon. Tommy, welcome to the show. Howdy, thanks for having me back once again. Well, so Star Trek Horizon, which is your film, was just released a week or so ago now on the 26th of February. So for those of our listeners who haven't yet seen it, can you just give us a brief synopsis of the film and sort of where it fits into the Star Trek universe? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Star Trek Horizon is an enterprise-based fan film. It takes place aboard the NX-04 Discovery and follows that crew. And it chronicles a tale, a story of the Romulan War. And the basic gist is when Enterprise was canceled, they left those story threads and a few others hanging and unclosed. And so I kind of took it upon myself for the past three and a half years to make a movie to close some of those story threads that they didn't get a chance to close themselves. And so that's that's the story of Horizon. Okay, and where did, where did you kind of come up with the idea, the concept for the film? Well, the basic gist of it was, again, going back to the idea of Enterprise having dangling story threads that they didn't get a chance to conclude when the show was canceled. Mm. And the reason I wanted to pick those up was because I'm a huge fan of Enterprise. And around 2012... I hadn't watched the show since it was first on, and that's when my uh, depression started. Yeah. Uh, and Enterprise, uh, as the as the corny story goes, helped me through that initial period and, and gave me a lot of inspiration and, and hope and all that. Yeah. So I was able to find a passion for Enterprise that I didn't have for other shows. And I was looking to get into making my first feature because I'd made a lot of short films. Mm-hmm. And so based on that passion for Enterprise and the fact that I saw a really big opportunity for storytelling in that, in that show's time, I just decided to go ahead and run with it. And so I always knew at the start I would have those elements that I needed to work on, the Romulan War, the Temporal Cold War, Future yeah. Guy, and all that. And so my story just it started out with those elements and I just worked from there. Okay, so let's talk about you personally then, because that's something that I'm not really familiar with your background and how you sort of became a fan of Enterprise and all of that. What kind of things were you doing before before this, as you call it, your depression set in? What what kind of things were you doing before? And then what was it about Enterprise that captured your imagination that kind of helped you through that and then moving on to a fan film production, basically? Ever since I can remember as a little kid, I always wanted to make movies. I always wanted to be a director. Even before I knew what a director was, that's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so I had made a lot of short films before Horizon. Yeah. It was kind of me like working my way up and learning how to do it. And... So when I I knew I wanted to make a feature, and it just so happened that it wanted to be in Horizon. But what it was that about Enterprise that really inspired me was this idea that's really prevalent with Captain Archer and the show as a whole of the explorer's heart. Yeah, that really spoke to me at the time, and that's that's what gave me the the inspiration and courage and all that to to explore for myself. Uh, and I found that I had a lot of new passions that I didn't know I had, like science. I found I really loved science, and that made a huge difference in my life because I'd never looked into it before. Mm-hmm. But because of Captain Archer being an explorer and, and being in love with the sciences like that, mm-hmm. I decided to look into it, and it gave yeah. me that passion. So it was really just 
the way the show itself spoke to me at that time when I needed something to to get out of that rut that I was in. Yeah. And that's not to say that, you know, like it completely fixed me or like, it, you know, because depression is a weird thing. It's always there in some way. Mm-hmm. But it gave me a uh, something to, to, to help cope with it, I guess I could say. Yeah, something to focus on. Because I've struggled with depression myself. And I find personally that having a, a project to focus on can really help sort of clear your mind and get you through the really bad days and back on to a better day. And did you have that experience yeah. working on this film? Well, I mean, first of all, I'd say normally it's good to be able to relate to someone, but not in this case. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it, it is a weird balance, too, though, because some days it's like it's really good to have that project and it really gives you something to focus on and to do. Mm-hmm. But then other days it's like, man, I just especially once you get three years into it, yeah. like towards the end here is when I've like kind of had another episode or whatever you want to call it. And I think it's because, like, after you get in the project for so long, you start to lose some of that that excitement for it that that you had originally. Not to say you hate it or anything, but it just it becomes normal. Mm-hmm. But you know, yeah, it definitely having that excitement and that passion when I started out really helped me a lot, and it gave me something to think about other than the fact that I was feeling crappy at the time. Yeah. Now, obviously, this must have been quite a challenge because uh, from the sound of it, quite a lot of the work and the drive behind it really was was you. Talk to me about the, the challenges that you faced sort of pushing this project through and what, how you motivated yourself to, to keep going and to complete it and to, to put out what what I personally think is a, is a very high quality product. Well, thank you, first of all. But I mean, you know, the challenges for the most part weren't really anything unexpected mm-hmm. to me because having done so many short films before for instance one of the most frustrating parts of doing things without a budget or with very little budget is scheduling yeah and the reason that that's a problem is because you can never get anybody to your shoot location at the same time <laughs> yeah and you know the one day that you get everybody to agree on a date and a time you get a mad snowstorm that blows through mm-hmm. and your shoot is canceled or you know at the last minute somebody calls up and says hey uh i can't make it to your shoot anymore because i got another gig and i booked that over top of your your date and so i mean i had experienced all that stuff before and so i knew that that was coming the technical challenges like visual effects and all that mm-hmm. i just i love making movies and so for me, like all of that was just part of the process that I enjoyed learning for the yeah. most part. Yeah. It did become a bit tedious. And the technical stuff was never like a huge uh, challenge to me. That's not the, that probably sounds kind of arrogant, but it's just, <laughs> I enjoyed doing it. That's yeah. why, you yeah. know, it's like, I, I enjoyed the learning process and learning how to make every part of a movie. And so I, I've said this before, but I think the biggest challenge for me was staying motivated once I got to about a year and a half, two mm-hmm. years in, because that's about the point where it starts to become normalized, you know, and it's it's especially hard in my case because I was working so much in a vacuum. I had a couple people that I would show things to on occasion for feedback. But for the most part, I made this entire movie sitting by myself in front of my computer working yeah. on this stuff. And so it gets very hard to stay motivated after a while because you wonder, is anything I'm making any good? 
you know, what other opportunities could I be missing out on while I'm yeah. sitting here in front of my computer for three and a half years? Yeah. So for me, the biggest part was, again, just the staying motivated over that whole time. And uh, I don't really know how I did that, to be honest. I just kind of pushed through it and, and got it done. And yeah. having donors helped, too, because I knew that people had given money to the project and were expecting to see it. Yeah. Was there ever a point in time where you thought, gosh, this might not actually happen? Uh, not really, no. There, I mean, I never seriously considered the fact that it couldn't happen, especially once I had donors. That was a huge thing that kept me on track. Because, you know, once people donate 20000 and then, you know, by the end, around $40,000 to your movie, like you, uh, there's not really a whole lot you can get away with when it comes to like canceling the project. Mm -hmm. yeah. But there were a lot of times where I just, I was disenchanted, I shall say, because yeah. I felt like nobody would watch it, nobody would care, it, wouldn't, it would be a waste of time, etc. Yeah. And so, yeah, there were, there were a lot of um, moments where I was unhappy. Right. with it but there were also a lot of good moments too and and i always knew i would finish it oh that's really good to hear so what did you set out trying to achieve with star trek horizon what what would you have said you know at the start was your goal was your like win condition <laughs> getting it done yeah. uh but <laughs> yeah that that was that was the first win condition but the other goal was just to create something that would be a love letter to enterprise and to star trek that would hopefully be worthy of the star trek name and it would tell a, a star trek story yeah and you know i just because I, I have this immense immense passion for both filmmaking and also a love for enterprise and so i just wanted something that i felt would be worthy of that name and and hopefully you know and based on the feedback most people seem to think it is but hopefully it is viewed that way as well okay well let's focus a little bit on on the actual the content of the film itself um why why did you feel that this particular story was the one that you wanted to tell? Well, again, it goes back to the whole, like, uh, you know, Enterprise having story threads that were left dangling thing. Yeah. And, you know, because I like other shows. Stargate's my other big favorite sci-fi mm -hmm. franchise. And yeah. so I've had ideas over the years about if I ever did a Stargate movie, what I would do. I've had ideas for what I would do if I ever had a Deep Space Nine movie, because I like Deep Space Nine a lot. Yeah. And so with this one, it was just all the right things at all the right time with my passion for Enterprise that kind of coalesced into this project. And I, I really, this whole thing with Future Guy and Enterprise, the guy, the shadowy figure that we see throughout the show, yeah. they never answered who he was, really bothered me. And so that was always my first thing going into it. I have to answer that question. And, and I did. So would it be fair to say that part of the reason that you did this project was to to give Enterprise, a, a, to tie things together a little bit, to, to give it a, sort of an ending that y you felt was worthy of the series where it had got cancelled somewhat prematurely in some people's eyes? Oh, absolutely. And in fact, there was that whole issue with the Enterprise Season 5 campaign that came up while I was making my movie. Mm -hmm. And I actually got kind of worried it was this strange emotion where I would have loved to see Enterprise come back, but then there was also another half of me that thought, you know, like, oh, if they do come back, then that's going to make everything I'm doing worthless because, yeah. you know, it's so it's so important to me to be able to tell my story here yeah. and to and to and to fill that, that void. So yeah, it was very important to me to be able to fill that void that the show left. 
Yeah, and it was interesting as I was watching it. I thought it was an interesting choice that you actually brought the Enterprise in as a as a character, basically. And I yeah. thought um, I thought it was an interesting choice, you know, as opposed to making it a standalone film. But I guess it does make sense that because you wanted to draw those obvious ties and make it a piece that was complementary to the Enterprise series. Is that fair to say? Yeah, no, it is, and and hopefully it's still standalone enough. And that I think that probably for the most part, any viewer who hasn't seen Enterprise or much of Enterprise will still be able to follow the story okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that was important to me too. But yeah, I did want to also have those strong ties to Enterprise. I would have liked to be able to do even more, like to be able to get Scott back, able to do some voiceovers or something yeah. for the comms. And but I was, but I also knew that I was never going to be recreating the crew of the enterprise with my own actors that was that was uh, from the start that was a no-go so i had to do my own crew yeah. but yeah I, I tried to find this balance of of relying on enterprise material and doing my original stuff too yeah good so you have kind of done well you've worn many hats in the production of this film and i wanted to talk a little bit about the music because I wasn't aware when I first watched it that you did the scoring as well. Yeah, no, I did. Um, I went to to college for music. My degree is in guitar and voice. And while I've always wanted to be a filmmaker, what I've done the longest is music. That's Mm -hmm. like the first thing I ever... I started composing when I was really young. So I always have liked writing music. And so when I started out the project, that's one part of it I was really looking forward to mm-hmm. was when I would finally get to the end so I could write the music for it. Yeah. Did you have a feel for what the music was going to be like as you were making the film? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think for the most part, when I, even when I was writing it, when I was working on the screenplay, I, was, I had an idea of the kind of music I would be mm-hmm. using in each scene. But there were also instances, too, where while I was in the process of scoring i was uh i was driving somewhere i wasn't scoring while i was driving but that's probably uh, safe yes (laughs) yeah but what isn't safe is how i listen to movie soundtracks when i drive right because i study them very closely and i listen to them mostly when i'm driving and when i'm writing and i can't focus on them when i'm writing but when i'm driving i listen very closely to all the instrumentation and every choice the composer is making so I was driving around and I heard this track for the Iron Man 3 soundtrack by Brian Tyler and I thought oh man that kind of feel would be really great for this scene in Horizon and I remembered that kind of idea or motif or instrumentation that he was using and I used that same kind of feel for mm. the the space battle scene in the middle where they're fighting for the for the station yeah. and so yeah See, I find that really interesting because music is something that I don't really get. I mean, there are people who get music and there are people who are not, who don't. And I don't get music. So I find it really interesting to to hear the point of view of somebody who clearly does just get it. Because I also listen to a lot of film soundtracks. Most of, you know, most of my CD collection uh, is uh, film soundtracks. But usually, because you know how they have a lot of films, especially sort of the big blockbusters and stuff, have half of the half of the soundtrack is you know pop music, and then the other half is the actual score bit. So I always listen to the pop music bit and then skip the score and then listen to the last because they always put like a a like a special version of one of the main songs right at the end. Yeah, and I I can imagine. I was like, oh man, you like soundtracks as much as I do, and you just listen to the pop section. Well, yeah, well, yes, but I think you know, which is good too. It's I think what it is for me is that the, the. the, the music in a film is so helps your immersion so much. Um, it helps your suspension of disbelief. It helps set the mood. 
And uh, it just is, for me, what I prefer to listen to is the pop sort of side of it. Right. Um, but that, for me, you know, the selection of those pieces is, is as good for me as the score is. But the score kind of uh, is a little bit, I don't want to say invisible, but if it's done properly, you get the mood from it, but you don't kind of notice it. You're not, like, listening to it. It depends on the movie and the composer yeah. and and what you're going for. I, You know, one of my favorite scores, for instance, is Hans Zimmer's score to The Dark Knight. Mm. And that's a really great score, but there's not really any part of that score that you can sing or hum mm-hmm. or that you can, like, really remember a melody. But it's very atmospheric, and it really sets the tone for that movie. Now, on the other hand, some of my other favorite scores include, you know, Star Wars by John Williams or the Brian Tyler stuff for the Marvel movies like Thor. I love Thor. Mm -hmm. And those stuff have really singable tracks and melodies. And so it really just depends on, you know, what the director and the composer want to go for. Luckily, on Horizon, I was both. So yeah. I didn't have to, I didn't have to follow anybody's orders. Yeah, there's no um, conflict of an artistic vision there. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and that's part of why it went so fast too. Yeah. When I wrote the score, it went pretty quickly because I just knew what I wanted. I went and did it, and it was done. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, no, I thought it was very good. It was one of those things that, as I was watching it, I wasn't aware that you had also done that. Um, I just assumed, like you probably would in most films, that it would be uh, somebody separate who's come in to do the score. But um, I think that's a that's a testament to to the job, the good job that you did on it. That it was sort of an invisible, complementary part of the film that. Um, that just worked and it, it wasn't distracting and it was enhancing for the rest of it. So, Oh, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. And part of that goes to, I mean, to the fact that I just didn't have the resources to hire people. Yeah. When it comes to music, I mean, I always knew I wanted to do the music from the start, so I had always had that pretty much locked down. Yeah. There were a number of people that offered, because I think there's a lot of up-and-coming composers out there, mm-hmm. but, you know, a big part of this film and low-budget filmmaking in general and why I do so much is because it's really, really hard to find people who are dedicated and talented and passionate and will also work for free. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't blame them for wanting to be paid. Yeah. But, uh, you know, when you can't pay people, you can't pay people. So what do you, you have to do it yourself, and, and yeah. that's what I wound up doing. What what else did you end up just sort of doing yourself because you needed to on this film? Well, I did all the visual effects. Um, I wrote it and directed, obviously. I did the cinematography, mm-hmm. uh, music, all the costumes I sewed myself. Um, the Most of the CG models, virtual sets and all that, I made myself. I did have some help with some of those. Eric Henry was a guy who helped me out a lot. Yeah. Uh, Ryan McClure, Alexander Clem, some others. Not to, just so they don't feel left out. But uh, so I did have some people doing some 3D models and stuff for me, and yeah. I had people help me with rotoscoping in a few places here and there. But largely, it was pretty much everything you see was something that I did. And I don't say that to toot my own horn. Yeah. It's just you know, it's just the the fact of the way the movie was. And there's even times when I appear on screen because like I would need a Starfleet officer walking in the background. <laughs> So I just go down on my green screen and put on the uniform and, and shoot a video of me walking around. I'm getting such a brilliant it. mental picture of what's of how this movie was made. It's brilliant. Uh, well, it didn't feel that brilliant. And it was mostly <laughs> just me in my basement or me in my bedroom yeah. on my computer. So. 
And how much of this stuff did you know how to do beforehand that you were bringing a pre-existing skill or or was it like, right, I need to make this happen and I don't know how, so I'm just going to do it? Well, directing, cinematography and music were all things that I had a lot of experience with beforehand and editing too. Mm -hmm. But I had never sewn anything before in my life, so I learned how to do that for this movie. My mom was very helpful there (laughs) and uh, she really was. because I often talk about uh, how I was, I was even kind of afraid to touch the pedal for the sewing machine. I was, it was like when you get in the car for the first time and like yeah. how hard can you push the gas pedal. Yeah. But so I learned how to sew. Visual effects, I was moderately experienced. I had done some of it before, but I did learn a ton on this project. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, was, it was kind of a, a mix and match of learning new things and augmenting things that I had already uh, known coming into it. Yeah. So the one thing that obviously you couldn't do completely by yourself although I would like to see that film made was the the <laughs> acting <laughs> that would be a different film that would be a totally different film it would be really interesting um, yeah. but, uh, but f- for this film obviously you had to bring in actors to, to make that happen I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the casting and how you worked with the cast so how did you find the people that would make these characters come to life well they're all people that at the time were more or less local to my area mm-hmm. so the, and they were people that i had either worked with before or they were you know mutual acquaintances of people i'd worked with before mm-hmm. or they were people that i found via casting calls yeah so uh, i posted the casting call and i found a couple people that way i found the captain because mark bowers who plays the first officer made a short film Mm -hmm. and I had known him before his short film but he directed his short film and he asked me to do his cinematography for that short film and I did and Paul Lang who is my captain was starring in Mark's short film and the day when we shot that short film and I met him I thought man this is before I even had plans to do a fan film I thought if I ever made a Star Trek movie this guy would be a great captain and so when I started writing the movie I actually I I didn't tell this tell him this till much later but I actually wrote the movie for him um, and uh, so that's how I found him. And then Ryan, who plays my chief engineer, actually did four Star Trek fan films back in the early 2000s when he was in high school. He wrote, directed, and starred. And he's very much like me in that he did everything on his fan films. Mm-hmm. And they were the Encarta fan films for anybody who's interested. And so when he saw that there was another Star Trek fan film in Michigan, because he found it via a casting call, right. He, uh, he got in touch with me and auditioned, and we got along swimmingly because we're huge Star Trek fans, and we have a lot in common. And so it was it was just stuff like that where, you know, I'd either known them or I'd post the casting calls or, or whatever, and it just kind of worked out that I found some people that I thought were really good, and also Callie Bustle, who plays our helm officer. I went to college with her and I'd known mm-hmm. her for, like, six years. So it's it was just a combination of things, really. And you alluded before about how difficult it is to to make all of those schedules mesh to actually produce a a film like this. And I think I read somewhere that it took like two years to make the equivalent of 18 days of filming or something like that. How do you how do you work that and uh, working all of those people to get into the right place at the right time? Well, it was about a about a year, actually, to get our equivalent 18 days. So, um it's really just a matter of you got to keep trying and keep trying until you get it done and it's really frustrating and the thing is like I thought at the outset that doing an all green screen movie would be a huge hindrance to me but it wound up being incredibly beneficial mm. because what this allowed me to do was film a scene in pieces 
So, for instance, on a day where it was the captain and helm officer having a conversation, and it turned out all I could get was the captain for that day, I would film just his part of the scene on the green screen. And then, you know, like six months later, when I could get Callie to come in to film her scenes as the helm officer, yeah, I'd film her half of that scene. And then because it was all on green screen, I could just drop it in together and post. Yeah. And that wound up being hugely beneficial. And I will say it's not ideal. Yeah. Because it's harder for the actors and it's harder mm-hmm. to get your lighting to match and all that jazz. Yeah. But when you're working at this level, it's it, it wound up being a saving grace for me. So there were, I would say, way more than half of the scenes in the movie were shot one person at a time. Wow. And that's largely how I made the scheduling work. Yeah. And there were even days like where Paul would come in, the captain. You know, he came in at noon one day and he said, all right, I have to go pick up my son today, so I have to leave by three. So, you know, we'd only get a couple hours of shooting time in. And it really was just a huge challenge to make that all work. And there was only ever, I think, probably like maybe four days at most where we had more than three to five people on set at once. I mean, if anybody's wondering, like, what the scheduling secret was, there was none. I never have found a good way to make scheduling work on a no or low budget project and that's why like moving into the future like i need budgets to be able to pay people because otherwise they just they can't show up or they won't yeah that actually kind of segues neatly into the next big sort of topic i wanted to discuss which was um this experience of being a quote-unquote fan filmmaker how is producing a quote-unquote fan film different from other projects that you've done well you know, it's really not that different because it was just an extension of everything I'd done before because I'd never done anything commercially in terms of my narrative projects. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd never had a, a project funded by a major studio or anything. It was all just my own short films that I was doing on shoestring budgets yeah. or no budgets. And so this was just an extension of that. And since I never made money off those other projects, it's not like I went from being a paid narrative director to an unpaid narrative director to do a fan film. Mm-hmm. I'd done a lot of weddings and, and commercials and stuff like that. But it it was just a continuation of what I'd done before. But, I mean, the problem is now, though, looking forward into the future and wanting to move forward in my career as a professional director, mm-hmm. I don't think – I think there's a limit to how far you can go with fan films if you want to be able to move forward. And that's, you know, it's that's why I think I can't do any more moving yeah. forward. But, yeah. you know, there there are limitations for people, for sure. That was something that I kind of wanted to talk about. So when you're making a fan film, which sort of by definition is drawing something from an existing universe, you're kind of you kind of become a caretaker of those pre-existing ideas. Um, how how does that play into your process? And do you feel constrained by existing canon or pressured that you have to maybe honor the legacy of of an existing franchise? I think a little bit, but not necessarily any more than I would if I was, say, J.J. Abrams making a quote-unquote professional Star Trek movie. Yeah. I think there's always that, uh, that feeling of wanting to honor what came before you. Yeah. And... You know, for me, since I was such a huge fan, it wouldn't be an issue. And it, it's kind of actually a joy mm-hmm. because it feels like you're you're playing in the Star Trek sandbox. Yeah. And, you know, and then every once in a while, yeah, you do have issues where you want to do something and the canon won't let you do it. But it's not really that big of a deal because the canon is so diverse that you can just find another way to do something and another way to tell your story. And I actually found it to be quite fun to to have to do that and to deal with those challenges. Yeah. 
And do you think you would make another Star Trek related film in the future? Probably not. It, that's not to say that, you know, I have no interest in it. But again, going back to the whole thing of wanting to be a professional director, mm-hmm. that, you know, I just, I can't really move my career forward any more than I have with Horizon. I feel like I learned so much on Horizon mm-hmm. and it made me a better filmmaker and I learned things not to do and things to do. And, you know, hopefully it'll help my career in other ways. Maybe somebody will see it. I don't know. Certainly not counting on that, but it'd be nice. But if I did another one, it would have to be much larger. Hmm. It would need, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not, you know, up to the level of what Axonar raised. Mm -hmm. And that's just not something that I think I'm prepared to jump into for a fan film at this point. So what I do next will have to be, I mean, I've written a ton of original projects, so it's not an issue of, like, having nothing to do. It's just deciding which one I want to do. And also if I'll be able to get funding for those. Because mm-hmm. the one thing about a fan film that's nice is you have a lot of people who eagerly want this stuff. So you can go out there and say, hey, I'm doing a Kickstarter. Can people give me some money to make my movie? And people do it. But if it's an original project, it's harder to get that attention. Yeah. But no, I mean, I know what I would do for a sequel if I did one, but I don't see it happening anytime soon. It's the nutshell answer. So would you have any advice for if there were other people who are maybe in a similar situation to you, they're fans of maybe Star Trek, maybe another franchise, but they enjoy filmmaking and want to follow in your footsteps and produce a fan film. Do you have any nuggets of wisdom that you would give to them? Well, you know, I always feel kind of weird giving advice because I still don't feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm at that point where like, like my advice is worth anything, but, yeah. for, but for whatever it's worth. To me, it's it's just about deciding what it is you want to do. Do you want to be a filmmaker or do you want to just make a Star Trek movie? Yeah. And for me, the number one thing has always been I want to be a filmmaker. That was always step number one, goal number one. It's always been about the the film theory for me. Mm-hmm. So I I love every every aspect of learning about it. I I have a huge collection of, of movie lights because I love cinema lighting and I love learning about how those technologies work. I love the cameras and, and the sound and, and all of that. Mm. And so what I would say is that if you want to be a filmmaker and you want to also make a Star Trek fan film, then do it if that's what you want to do. But if you just want to do a Star Trek thing for fun, you can do that too. But you have to decide which one it is because that's going to that's gonna tell you what else you're going to be able to do are you going to be able to get funding or are you going to be able to have success whatever that means Mm -hmm. i've seen a lot of people who just want to do a fan film for fun and they'll put up a kickstarter and they won't get very far with it and i think part of the reason is because they just want to do this fun fan film thing and they don't and they're not as concerned about making a good movie they just want to make a star trek movie yeah so Again, it just goes back to the decide, figure out what you want to do. And if you've never done any sort of filmmaking before, then certainly don't start with a Star Trek fan <laughs> film. Because it's, uh, even with what I had done before, it was a crazy idea. And I wouldn't, yeah. you know, it, it was, it's very lucky that it got done. Did you feel under a lot of scrutiny making a Star Trek fan film? Because it's such a huge franchise. And especially, you know, the last few years, we haven't had that much Star Trek content. Did you feel as though people would be looking at you and, see, you know, uh, 
critiquing what you had done because of that. No, honestly, I actually felt the opposite. I thought nobody was going to watch it, to be completely honest. <laughs> and, you know, part of that is because you see things like Renegades and Axnar and, you know, even like Captain Pike or whatever, where they get for they have connections. Right. And they have money somehow, so they're able to get these people involved. Yeah. You know, they're able to get all the Star Trek actors in, they're able to get million dollars plus on Kickstarter and so on. And in the meantime, I'm having a hard time getting people that will even respond to my emails. Yeah. So I honestly, I, I just felt the complete opposite. I really didn't think anybody would, for the most part, even watch it, aside from maybe a few people. So it's really good to see that people are watching it yeah. and that they like it, it seems. But uh, I also wouldn't worry about that for anybody who's wondering, like, if you want to make something, just make it. Who cares what people say? Yeah, I, li- I like that attitude. <laughs> All right, so final question. Uh, what do you hope that people will take away from Star Trek Horizon? That's a good question. I'm not really sure. Uh, I just hope they come away from it enjoying the movie and 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 feeling as though they've experienced a good Star Trek story. Yeah. Because, you know, as people who do stuff, you know, you as a podcaster, me as a filmmaker... And, and whatever else I do, you put stuff out there because you want people to enjoy it and, and hopefully to yeah. make some sort of difference in their life in whatever way. And so I just hope people see the movie and that they like it. And and that's the most I can ask for, personally. Okay, and where can our listeners go to watch the film? What's the best place to go to watch the film? StarTrekHorizon.com, all one word. Or just go to YouTube and search for Star Trek Horizon. Or go to our Facebook page, which is Facebook.com slash Horizon. Uh, or just Google Star Trek Horizon, and uh, it all goes back to the YouTube link where it is right now. So it's all up there for free for anybody who wants to see it. Okay, brilliant. And uh, we'll leave links to all of those in our show notes as well for any of our listeners who would like to go and uh, refer to that. So, Tommy, thank you so much for joining us on Priority One today, and congratulations on the release of Star Trek Horizon. Um, I really do hope that we'll get to see some more of you in the future. Perhaps not Star Trek, but uh, some other things, maybe. <laughs> well, thank you, uh, and, and hopefully, uh, you know, I'd be happy to come back anytime and, and talk to you again as well. So, I would be happy to keep you posted. Now, let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Captains, after a slow week last week, Mark and I are really excited for some of this week's newest developments in Star Trek Online. And while we're starting off with something that isn't technically STO news, it does have a few features that may help you get some of that in-game sea store content you've been eyeing up for a while. After all, who wouldn't like some freeze in? In order to continue to push the ARC platform from PWE, it received a bit of an update and a facelift in the form of ARC 3.0. The real reason this caught our eye was the feature of ARC quests. One of the blogs released in the topic states that these can be anything from playing a game for a certain amount of days to visiting the blogs, Twitter and Facebook pages for one of the games on the ARC platform. If you aren't planning on finishing one of the quests, you can replace one immediately per day by cancelling it on the top right of the quest card. So, get 600 XP from the quests, level up, get art points, change that into Zen, and according to Laughing Trendy, it looks like it'll be around 10 points to 1 Zen, so not necessarily the deal we were looking for, as there will be a bit of a time investment, but yay for semi-free stuff nonetheless. Yeah, I had a, I had a look at this, and um, on the surface it's like, yay! <laughs> 
freezing, woo! But it is actually, there's quite a lot to be done in order to get it. So I think uh, the quests that I had today were something like log into Elsword on two different days and log into something else on four different days. Um, I don't play any of the other ARC games. Um, it also isn't clear like whether you have to just log, like if it's just a, like a log in and log out or whether you have to play for a certain amount of time. Um, and then of course, you basically you have to get, you get ARC points by leveling up and then, but it doesn't say how many you'll get. So it, it's hard to say just now, like how much actual free zen you can get, but potentially, you know. Um, it's something, it's, it's a top up. Yeah, considering my balance is currently zero, mm. um, it it could potentially be something, especially if you are already playing other art games. Yeah. I think that's the key. If you're already doing the other stuff, then it will actually get you something basically for free. So, hmm. But to quote a meme for someone like me whose game time is at a minimum, <laughs> ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> uh, so in more actual STO news... Cast your minds back, if you will, to the launch of Season 11. At the end of October last year, we had just finished the Iconian War, Admiralty was the new big shiny, and we here at Priority One were only just finding the joys of dressing up as Power Rangers in the new Terran Task Force uniforms. But all was not well in the galaxy. Many captains were dismayed as the PVEQ's mine trap and the breach were suddenly retired without warning or explanation. But here we are four months later and the breach is back, baby. The breach has been resurrected as a special event similar to the Crystalline Entity event. From now through the 24th of March, players can partake in the daily queue to earn Voth Operative Transmissions. Earning 14 of these will allow you to complete the event reputation project and earn a big box of goodies, including 50,000 dilithium ore, 500 fleet marks, and 250 reputation marks of your choice. And new to this event, said big box of goodies also includes an epic quality admiralty card, the VSS Tanius. In addition to being pretty, this special ship card also comes with the special ability to add plus 50 to all stats when used alone. That's a whopping 103 engineering, 89 tactical, and 93 science. Not bad at all. As with other special events, once you've completed the main event reputation project, you'll also be able to complete additional daily projects that will award 2,000 dilithium, 50 fleet marks, and 35 reputation marks. Now, to get the main prize bundle, you'll have to do the daily 14 times out of the available 21 days, so there aren't a lot of days you can drop. However, the queue has been refurbished, among other things, with a view to a faster completion time. So make sure you get in there early and earn your prize. All together now, to quote Henry V, once more unto the breach, dear friends, once more. What do you guys think? Um, I'll do it for that. I'll click hard and that's about it. Have you played the breach? Yes, I did like the map, but yeah. I'll be honest with you. I only heard about it when it got retired, which, it's, considering that um, it was literally retired, well, the patch note said it was being retired, literally on the day it was retired, uh, I didn't get to play it. So I am actually looking forward to it because it, from the reaction of a lot of players, it sounded like they were kind of upset that it was gone. So. Um, I'm looking forward to, to trying something new and having a reason to try something new. It, it was a pretty fun mission. It, you had to know what you were doing, and it was pretty long. I haven't played it now since it's come back. I'll probably do that after the show. 
but yeah, I'm looking forward to it, to see what they've done to improve it. I think the problem with it last time was it took so long and it was by no means a really easy mission and the rewards just weren't there, you know. Your time investment just wasn't there, the time investment, the uh, return on it. Well, they have said that they've both increased the rewards for it and also decreased the amount of time that it should take. So hopefully that will bring it back in line with um, the other more popular queues. Yeah, definitely. But that Admiralty card is really nice. That is really, really fantastic. Yeah, so. it'll be nice to have one card that you can use on its own um, mm-hmm. and you don't have to use up all of your cards at once. That'll be one good. One card to rule them all. <laughs> okay. Oops, wrong IP. <laughs> uh, well, here's the question, though, that I want to find out what you guys think. So they've retired a queue, refurbished it, and then brought it back as a special event. What do we think about that? Because they're not bringing the queue back. Yeah. They're just bringing it back temporarily. I think it's a good idea. I I think. Because I wouldn't imagine that that queue was played a whole lot before when it was in. Because of the reasons I stated earlier. It was a really, really long queue. And they've brought it back now. They've apparently made it a little bit easier. The rewards are better. With this event, they're giving away a really, really awesome prize with it. Not to mention the 50,000 dilithium and all the other stuff you get. So, I think it's a good idea, what they've done with it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I would say not too much different. It's better than not having it at all again. I guess my question is, if if they're gonna bother refurbishing it and making it better with better rewards and it takes less time, why not just make it a queue? (laughs) Again. Because that's what they've done with the Crystalline Entity. So you've got the Crystalline Entity queue. Hmm, fine. And then the event is like the, the the big awesome version of it. I mean, I well, we don't know whether maybe that's what they're going to do with the breach if it proves popular. Don't know. But I just think it's a little strange to bring it back just for a special event. Well, Al doesn't like the crystalline catastrophe as a cue. He only ever wanted that to be the event. But there's so few ways of getting the car remarks. It's still remaining there as a cue. To be fair and con- to completely play devil's advocate with myself. I do actually think it's an interesting idea that if they make more special event queues, that will help fill the gap in what they said was going to be a more spaced out featured episode year. I'm a little upset about this because clearly I think my my 10th of March prediction is like totally wrong because basically they're going to be filling up. They're not going to launch a major change whilst this special event is going on. No, it's most likely going to be just after it. Yeah, mm. so I'm adjusting my predictions to the 24th of March, but that's beside the point. Mm-hmm. Um, Along with the rest of us who originally picked it. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, burn! burn. <laughs> Do you need the dermal but, regenerator? Because you just got burned. Yeah. <laughs> but it is an interesting, uh, it is an interesting idea, and potentially will change the cadence. Where last year, for the majority of the year, it was um, every four to six weeks we were getting a featured episode, and occasionally you'd get a very small, like a short event in between, just to kind of fill that gap. But now potentially we could be having a uh, four-week-long featured episode, and then do uh, between uh, four and six weeks of other events before we actually get to the next one. So uh, I'd say we're looking at at least four months, if not six, before we see another one of these come back again. Yeah. Because, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. 50,000 50, dilithium ore, not to mention the d- 
deleting you get while playing the mission. True. It, it's a lot. It, you know, uh, so I really don't think we'll see an event like this one back again for another four to six months. Sorry to sorry to completely put you down there, but no, 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 no. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to. In my mind, rampant speculation, as I enjoy doing, is to just kind of map out um, the next several months because we know yeah. that. Okay, we kind of think that season eleven point five is going to be imminent, isn't it? So I, it's probably going to be the next big thing after this event is over, um, and then that featured episode is going to take uh, another four, possibly five weeks if they stretch it out. So what are we talking then? Uh, into We're talking May? about May? S- summer events starting then. Yeah. Well, that, that when does that start? Around June. 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 Yeah. So then, so we do have a, a, a few weeks to to fill possibly in um, in May, but. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, well, like, there's so many different things they could do. Like, if they want to uh, redo the Delta recruitment event. Oh, um, yes. You know, that could be another thing that they bring back. Do you know, that was a point that I wanted to raise because we talked last week with Tony about um, about this uh, the two-pronged horn of you need uh, endgame content and also to attract new players. And we've got, this is more endgame content, isn't it? I mean, anybody can play it, but for the for the most part, it's endgame content. It's not it's not attracting new players by bringing this queue back. So we're still waiting, really, for that new player thing. Expansion three. <laughs> now you're getting ahead of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there eventually, Mark. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I'm just thinking there of other things that they can do. Um, like we're saying, there's probably a four week window there before the summer event starts. Mm. They'll probably do another galactic restoration thing. Yeah. I'd say it's more likely we'll get one of those than the Delta Recruitment event. Yeah. I think we'll get a galactic restoration and it'll be it'll be bonus marks or, or something for a week. Yeah. You know, and that will that will take two weeks to complete from start to finish. Yeah. I would love to see some kind of recruitment event in there, though, because I'd like... Uh, I don't know, maybe I'm weird, but I absolutely love the summer event. It's so much fun. It's like pure, unadulterated fun. And I would love to see them recruiting new players in just in time to have that kind of good fun. I would love to see that. Yeah, no, I had fun uh, at it last year. Um, I hope I hope they've come up with some new ideas for it this year. There was talk two, three years ago of possibly having some sort of underwater minigame. <gasps> that, w- that was only a rumor. Uh, but it was two or three years ago. I know it was pitched to the devs, um, uh, so yeah. there was rumors about that going around. But something like that would be pretty cool if they could um, come up with it or figure out how to do it. I'm just looking forward to getting my uh, Back to the Future hoverboard back out. <laughs> yeah. Since we couldn't actually use it during the event this year, could we? I think this came after that, didn't it? It came after anyway. it, yeah. So. But we digress. I shall bring us back to this week's community question. What other retired content like The Breach would you like to see come back as a featured event in Star Trek Online? Ooh, I just thought of one, but not as an event. No win scenario. That's what I'm wondering. Uh, Everyone's going to say no win scenario. That's so Mm. cliche. Everyone's going to say that. I have something different. Oh, really? I would... Go for it. No, I'm just saying you're proving Kenna wrong. Right. Thanks. Yay. No, I, <laughs> I would like to remember the STFs the way they used to be, like the space and ground together for like one week. Please, like bring back the old style STFs. Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you mean like just normal and elite difficulty? 
No, I mean, remember when there used to be space and ground together in the one mission? Like, both parts of Infected were the one part you did space, you did the ground, and then you were done. Like, bring them back together into the one queue. Right. It's a mixture of both space yeah. and ground. Gotcha. Something like that. Well, moving on to my most favourite words to do with Star Trek Online. The season 11.5 hype train has once again pulled into the Priority One station again this week, and it brings my favourite word I've ever had to say on the show, the Admiralty System. Yay, I did it! I did it! Yes, a (laughs) Romulan Republic Admiralty System, or if you want to go back to Admiralty, for those of you who can remember back to my many, 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 many bloopers on it, probably listen to the end of today's show for probably even more. Getting to it though, it will run the same as the other campaigns of the Federation Klingon that we have, be unlocked at level 52, give a ship at the end, and some extra goodies for completing the tour of duty associated with it. So a rundown, the tour of duty will give three Romulan Republic universal tech upgrades that cost no dilithium to use, give 15,000 tech points and give a chance to improve an item's quality all according to the blog released in this past week. All we know of the ship so far is it will be the RRW Zidania Epic Quality Admiralty Ship. It will be an escort ship with the ability to increase both tactical and engineering for every other ship on the same assignment. I'm so excited, Mark. Yeah? Well, I'll tell you why I'm excited. Um, For those of you who have been listening to the show for a while, you know that I've struggled a little bit with the Admiralty system. Getting better now, because, you know, the stuff that we've been given away has had a little bit more science in it, so yay. Uh, finally completed my Federation tour of duty, and I'm, but I'm on, like, three of mm. Klingon. I don't know. I'm just not into it. So I'm looking forward to having another one that I can switch off of the Klingon one. <laughs> Go on to the Romulan one. You do like the Federation one, though, yeah? That's alright. Now that I'm done with it, I don't really... Uh, I know that you can replay it to get yeah. the, the spec points over again. Oh, I'm doing um, it constantly. But boy, that seems like a long time. It took me so long to even just get the tour duty missions to pop, so I'm not sure I'll redo it. So uh, having another one in there is, is really appealing to me. And so finally, moving on to patch notes for this week... We lead off with some updates to Terran uniforms with some new costume parts and some resolved issues with pieces clipping and body parts disappearing, particularly legs apparently with some shorts, which is interesting. Also interestingly, it looks like frigate pets and PVP are getting a bit of love this week as well. So frigate pet controls have been updated so they follow their owners more reliably and they've also fixed a bug where not all team members in PVP queues were receiving their rewards correctly. If you'd like to read through the full patch notes yourselves, we'll leave a link to them in the show notes for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO261. And again this week, in an effort to bring you some of the news and comments from PWE and Cryptic that aren't officially announced in the blogs, here's the latest comments we've pulled from the Twitterverse. So Star Trek Online at Trek Online Game tweeted, We're teaming up with We Love Fine, WizKids, ThinkGeek and Star Trek for the Star Trek 50th Anniversary Design Contest. Now, if if any of you have managed to to miss this little bit of news, it's quite exciting. So there's a design contest going on that anyone can submit designs for, uh, and they will be picking out the best 
I suppose, the best designs to go on a variety of merchandise. Uh, they're not actually very clear on the website exactly what they're looking for. But it's interesting to note that uh, Star Trek Online's art director, Samuel Wall, and the executive producer, Stephen Ricosa, will be judges on the panel. So it's, uh, it's getting some attention from some Star Trek Online guys. Very nice. Cool. Yeah. And from Maria Rosso, at Maria Rosso, Zeroni Rex to you and I, just spent the last half hour listening to mashups on YouTube, got a few new favourites. Yeah, and if you haven't uh, been following her on Twitter, go follow it, because there's some yeah. awesome music in there. And finally, Morgan at Laughing Trendy tweeted, I just got reminded that Toy Story came out over 20 years ago. Thanks, Twitter. Wow. And thank you to yeah. you for sharing it all with us. Thanks for making me feel old. <laughs> oh my... Oh my, indeed. 20 years ago. <sighs> and lastly, before we wrap up Star Trek Online News, here are some upcoming events to look forward to. This is just a quick reminder that the Galactic Restoration event is now complete, and as a reward for reaching the top tier last week, captains will enjoy a 150% XP bonus through this Thursday, March the 10th. Also, the Krenum Anorak Science Dreadnought promotion is back. From now through the 24th of March, opening a promotional Delta Alliance duty officer pack from the Sea Store will get you a chance at winning this iconic ship. But hurry, once the event is over, all Delta Alliance DOF packs, even ones bought during the event, will no longer offer the chance at the ship. So if you're desperate to get your hands on one of these and you don't have an extra billion EC lying around, this might just be your chance. As always, these events are subject to change without notice, so make sure you check the in-game calendar or listen in here at Priority One Podcast for the latest news and updates for Star Trek Online. See, 24th of March, it's coming up again. Just saying, just saying. I know. There's a lot of stuff that's ending on the 24th of March. It's mm-hmm. suspicious. Now let's check in with Jake on the corner. Hey there, boy. Well, ain't you a fine bit of stuff? And here I am in flitters. And maybe just a wee bit langered. <clears throat> that, Admirals, was a poor attempt at an Irish accent. And I'm sorry. Very, very sorry. But I just couldn't help myself. March is here. Whether you attend a hoolie, wear green and shamrocks, boil a dinner, or enjoy a few jars of the black stuff at the local, there's Trek product out there for you. So pull up a stool and have a listen to the bits and bobs. <laughs> Sorry. Let's get to it. Regardless of your plans this March, it's probably a fair assumption you'll need a shirt. And whether that shirt is under a suit or the star of the party, it might as well be a Star Trek shirt. There are options aplenty at the website cafepress.com. There you'll find several flavors of shamrock embellished deltas. One such shirt features the aforementioned delta, similar in size and design to the TOS insignia, located over the left chest and featuring the shamrocks as the department insignia. On the rear of the shirt in the center is the same delta insignia, only much larger. Superimposed over the insignia is a small scroll at the top reading Established Stardate 30253. Near the bottom of the delta, in large Celtic font, it reads Finnegan's Pub. Finally, separate from the delta, but close enough to incorporate seamlessly into the design, it reads... It ain't sure leave without a belt from Finnegan's. The shirt has a very pub shirt feel and starts at $17.95 US. Plus, TOS reference. Awesome. My personal favorite, though, is a little more outside the box. It features a Constitution class starship, 
forward-facing with a slight downward angle. The mustard collectors trade the traditionally orange hue for festive green. On top of the saucer stands an impish leprechaun. It's a geniusly executed amalgam of a leprechaun and, well, con, and really needs to be seen to be appreciated. Links will be in the show notes, so be sure to check it out. This shirt also starts at $17.95 US. As a quick side note, these great designs can also be printed on bar glasses, shot glasses, mugs, water bottles, coasters, and many other items. If you like the shirts, take a gander at the other great products available. Are you heading to a parade but can't figure out how to keep your favorite canned beverage cold in your big, sweaty mitts? Captain Kirk can help. More specifically, Big Mouth Inc.'s Captain Kirk drink cooler can help. This formed foam, officially licensed drink cooler measures approximately 2.95 by 3.94 by 2.96 inches, so it can fit nearly any 12 or 16 ounce can. The cooler is formed in the likeness of Kirk's command uniform midsection, arms, hands, and all. Speaking of hands, don't be afraid to put this down, because this can cooler is ready to defend your beverage with its formed Type 2 phaser. Do you prefer less fight and more logic with your icy cold libation? Then perhaps Big Mouth Inc.'s Spot Drink Cooler is more your speed. All the same stats as the Kirk variant, but with four times the logic. Disclaimer, logic may vary. The Spot Cooler is making peace with the Vulcan Salute, all while scanning the party for fun with its form TOS tricorder. You can order both of these can coolers at Amazon.com, Star Trek Store.com, and PerpetualKid.com, among others, with prices ranging from $6.99 US to $15.99 US. Perhaps you're a beverage brewer, drink designer, or professional potable er, and you've brewed, made, or mixed your favorite liquid refreshment for a celebration. Or maybe you just like big glass vessels and receptacles. In any case, may we suggest the 64-ounce Star Trek Enterprise Growler on Etsy.com. The item, listed by seller Peerless Custom, is a 64-ounce growler with handle and cap. It features an engraved Enterprise uniform patch on the front main mass of the growler. For clarity, this is referencing the patch found on the left shoulder of the NX-01 Enterprise crew, with the NX-01 offset to the right in front of a circular starfield, the name Enterprise along the bottom left. Peerless Custom, who has an average of 5 out of 5 stars on 854 reviews, has listed the growler for $26.99 US. There are also options to add a bottle opener, which features the same NX-01 badge, a pair of Command Delta engraved pint glasses, or all four items. The whole kit and caboodle sells for $49.99 US. This is a beautiful piece, made even more beautiful by your liquid creation. But remember, Etsy is generally handmade items, so order early. So there you have it. Here's hoping you have a happy and more importantly, safe March. Links to the items discussed can be found in the show notes, so please be sure to check them out. Have any comments or suggestions about the segment or anything discussed herein? We'd love to hear them. So let us know what you think on Twitter, Facebook, or in the comment section. May the saddest day of your future be no worse than the happiest day of your past. And remember, you keep an eye on the stars, we'll keep an eye on the market. Until next time. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Last week's community questions were, what are your thoughts so far on the new skill system in Star Trek Online? And if a future installment of the JJ-verse franchise were to revisit something from prior Trek, any series or movie, what would you want it to be? First up, Mark Ace left us a voicemail on SpeakPipe. Have a listen. Hello, P1. This is Mark Ace from Holland. Long-time listener, first-time caller, and fleet leader. 
the Mighty 44. V1 episode 260 I listened to live, and you guys had me laughing so hard, my wife came back from visiting our next door neighbors to check up on me. The live shows are hilarious, and if time zones permit, I'll be there next time. Good stuff! What I thoroughly enjoyed, however, was the interview with Bordicus. There was an excellent in-depth interview which helped me understand and further explain his early version of the skill revamp to my fleet. There are still a lot of questions, unknowns and trepidations that will be unable to mess around with our ship stats under the hood, so to speak. Which is one of the fun things in Stowe. We treat our ships as classic cars, tweaking and tinkering until they're just right. Porticus did alleviate some of the nervousness and thank you guys for getting the info out to us. So thanks for another enjoyable episode. Shout out to the Mighty 44th and to all, greetings from the Netherlands. See you out there. Alright, thanks Marques. Ravra commented on PirateOnePodcast.com With regards to the ongoing work on the skill system revamp, so far I have no significant complaints. I find it very easy, more or less, to replicate my holodeck build, benefiting quite well from some skills that have now been combined and losing very little on the whole I've gained. And likewise, TKO Selena Vasili at TKO underscore Selena tweeted in response to the question about the skill system. I've given it a try a few times on Tribble. Very mixed feelings about it currently. Hmm. So it sounds like a, a bit of a mixed bag from our listeners. I don't know. I've, I've done a little bit of trying it out. I finally completed a skill tree once. I thought it was very interesting to see how it turned out. I don't know. Do you guys have strong opinions so far? Well, there was a big... There was a big update to Triple uh, this week, um, so there's, you know, they are working on things. So I suppose it's just important to keep in mind that it's not in its final state, and we do have a couple of weeks left. And from Tyler Maxwell, we have as far as JJ Verse rehashes of old Trek screen content. I'm not sure that I just want a repeat or tweak of old Trek story. Maybe those are fine for the comics, but I suspect a good portion of screen watching Trekkies wouldn't accept that. And we've already seen the outrage with Into Darkness, a.k.a. The Wrath of Cantu. I would, however, like to see some of the races and certain persons from the shows making an appearance in the JJ-verse in some way. And finally, Sanic Skyrat posted, Why can we not have more fan films, please, and fan films awards? I personally would love to make a fan film based on STO, but this is so scary that I am so afraid of even sneezing. We got a great community and talented people. We need more Trek. And I could not agree with you more, Sonic Skyrat. And I don't think that everybody's going to get sued. I mean, I, Star Trek Horizon just came out, and we interviewed its writer and producer. That guy hasn't been served, and I kind of well, and I kind of doubt. No, no, no. You know, I say that totally in jest. Yeah, t- I, t- I say tongue in cheek. Totally tongue in cheek. Yes, yeah. I, yeah. I, I sincerely doubt that he's going to be because, like I said, he just it. it, it, it that sort of a, a endeavor is not something CBS would have any interest in, in, in chasing down. I really think as long as you don't take money for the creative process of making the film, I think you can still pay people for the nuts and bolts of actually putting it together. Yeah, and Sanex Skyrat, I think if you want to make a film film based on STO, I think you should just go ahead and do yeah, it. Yeah, and that, actually that one's really easy. That's easy because Star Trek Online has a license from CBS Star Trek Online gives the fans access to the demo record tool, and then so that's a thing. I mean, you they've they've provided you with both the the property and the means by which to record it. So I think that's and there's machinima out there, and there's YouTube videos and all kind. I mean, I, go nuts, buddy. I mean, as long again as long as you don't 
charge for it. And as long as you don't somehow get paid for the creative process of making it, go. It's fine. Yeah, there is actually a, a sort of small and growing community of people that are trying to make sort of fan film type things about STO and within STO. So I would go ahead and look, go on YouTube, and if you search for Star Trek online, there are a few people that are doing it. And we could grow that community as well, so go for it's it. It's been going on since, you know, since people discovered the demo record tool and, and try to figure out how to use it. There's been several attempts. I mean, some of them are bigger than others. Uh, to try to do that, and there, I think there are probably still some out there. But it's it's a tough tool to use, and it takes a lot of. It's very very labor intensive, and it's and it doesn't always work. And so it's 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 not the most convenient medium, I don't think, uh, to express yourselves. Oh, and by the way, I am not giving anyone legal advice. The previous uh, opinions are good for entertainment and educational purposes only for real legal advice. Please consult a lawyer licensed in your jurisdiction. Thank you very much. We love hearing from you, so leave us a voicemail by clicking on the SpeakPipe widget on our homepage. And that's in addition to our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, our Twitter page at Priority One Pod, and of course you can always leave a comment on our website, PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, that wraps up episode 261 of Priority One Podcast. We'd like to send a special thanks to our Patreon supporters, Navy Boats Lou, Stephen Humphrey, and Rarva. But before we go, here's a reminder of this week's community questions. What's your favorite Nicholas Meyer moment? What other retired content would you like to see come back as a featured event in Star Trek Online? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Submit your responses for our community questions in the comment section on our website. You can also leave us a comment on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast or tweet us via at Priority One Pod. You can even leave us a voicemail via SpeakPipe. Just click on the widget on our homepage at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your podcast catchers to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. And if you're listening to us via iTunes, please leave us a review. More importantly, help spread the word about the show. Now that we're covering all things Star Trek, be sure to retweet and share our posts. Invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. And don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. Covering the world of space sims, including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many, many more. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. Thanks to our graphic artists, Romulan Ale and Jason Smith. If you enjoy our comics, the creator of our comic series, Jonathan Towery, can be commissioned at johntowery.com. Thanks to all of our bloggers and their managing editor, L, to the writer of our skits, Jake Morgan, to our video editor, Jerry Tillman, and to consultant Midnight Shadow 7 of Holosuite Media for supporting the show. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker, Jake Morgan, and Gavin LaWarn. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. And most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, and our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage.
Transfer complete. And of course, before we... Speaking of Patreon perks, this week on Priority One After Hours... I've actually forgotten what we're going to talk about. Circus music? That's not a very yeah, good topic. Music. That's not a good topic. Yeah, we're going to talk about circuses. That is not Ooh. a good topic. Juggling and animal cruelty. It's going to be awesome. What? <laughs> Just, I'm not going to go there. Okay, <clears throat> bringing it back. This is Kenna Stow News, Sync 1. This is Mark STO News, Sync 2. This is Winter's Star Trek Online News, Sync 3. Oh, this is... Oh, whoa. <laughs> Sorry, that the, like, Winter's robot voice threw me off. Uh, Stone News in <clears throat> 3, 2... And according to Laughing Trendy on Twitter, it looks... A... Name me. <laughs> according to Laughing... It could just say according to Laughing Trendy. It was actually on Reddit. Oh, oh was it? Yeah. Oops. Sorry. <laughs> and the seasonal <laughs> I love how you're like worried about your words and you I know. can't get out 11 no it's when you started laughing I'm like that okay <laughs> <clears throat> all we know of the ship so far is the name of the RRW Zid- um, I had this earlier Zidania boop boop Zidania Zidania is a new admiralty <clears throat> Does nobody this else have anything Kenna to say? Great radio. Is yeah, Star Trek Online release not? Yeah, okay. Hang on. <clears throat> so I, was, I, was, I was waiting for you guys to talk so I could clear my throat. Sorry. <clears throat> Don't know where we ended that off. And so finally, moving on to. Uh, nope. I'm going to no, screw that. <laughs> I'm going to screw that segment up. It's fine. Ha. So frigate pet controls have been updated so that they follow their. O- their oh. <laughs> I had like an itch in my nose. <laughs> I'm very distracting. <laughs> it's incredibly distracting. I'm sorry. <clears throat> We're not watching you. You could have. Yes. I know, no, I know, but do you, I can't. <laughs> not unless it was on the inside. <laughs> mm. No, not. Ooh, no. <laughs> um, God. 